Well, if you will take a copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on 1631. Today is Palm Sunday. We'll be taking a break from Joshua this week and next, of course, as we look at Palm Sunday and, um, and Easter. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time. So, Father, I pray that by the Spirit, you would help us as we come to your word to hear it read and to hear it preached. Lord, that the same Spirit who revealed this to holy men to write to Luke, he would enlighten our hearts that we would behold life and light, and that you would change us, Lord. Grow us in your grace. Strengthen our faith. And may we behold once again our triumphant King Jesus, in whose name we ask it. Amen. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. Hear now the word of the Lord. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, At the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as it had been told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. You know, when children are born, they have no awareness... Of the fact that there are people in authority over them. They are quickly um, reminded, sometimes at the end of a switch, of the authority of their parents. But beyond that, children have no uh, knowledge that there's something called a city over which a mayor governs. Or perhaps your children have seen a sign going back into Bruton, now entering a Scambia County. What's what's a county? I had to to answer that one last week. Dad, what does that sign say? It says says a Scambia County. What is a county? So then you really get excited. You can tell them about county, county commissioners. That's a tough one. Or then you think about our state, this geographical region where we live. It's called a state. And there are other states. We don't live in those states, but you've been to that state. And over those states, there's something called a governor. And these states, collectively, we live in America. And there's this president who is in charge of everything. Now, children don't know about those things until they're told. 
But it does not change the fact that mayors and county commissioners and governors and presidents exist. Did you get that? Just because they don't know about it does not change the fact that those people exist. Although we live in a democratic republic, did you know that we have a king? See, really, whether or not we recognize that this king exists does not change the fact of his reality and his rule and his reign. You know, we we can't change whether or not the king exists. Because this king is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he has authority over the entire land. And every land. Going from the highest of the high to the lowest of lows. Down to our very souls. While we cannot change his existence. And praise the Lord we can't. What we can change is our response. How have you responded to this king? There is a king and he is your king and his name is King Jesus. The question is, how have you responded to this king? See, this king created everything. We learned that from John 1. Everything that has been made, our king created. And even now we learn from Hebrews that that everything that exists is being sustained by the word of his power. And this king, he came and he took on flesh. The God-man Jesus, and he came and he lived a perfect life. And his coronation, his crowning was not upon a throne. It was with a crown of thorns and upon a cross. Because this king is different from any other king who ever lived. His reign and his rule, it is absolute. But unlike any other king, he would lay down his life for those who were his enemies. My friend, this is is your king. King Jesus. We celebrate the kingship of, kingship of Christ uh, every Sunday, of course. It is our very salvation. But especially today as we celebrate the triumphant entry. As we celebrate Palm Sunday. This is a special day when Jesus began the highly symbolic ride from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. You know, it's, this wasn't a long Walk. This wasn't a long walk. It wasn't a long ride. It was only about a half mile. So riding on the donkey into the city had nothing to do with Jesus' tired legs. It had everything to do with the deeply symbolic image of this is our King. Jesus is your King. How have you responded to Him? That's my question to you this morning. Well, to understand what's going on in this text, we must understand a little bit about Old Testament history. See, we believe all of Scripture from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, it all points us to our Savior Jesus. It all is there to point us to our Savior. And there's much in the Old Testament that points us to the kingship of our Savior. Every year during a long period of Israel's history, and specifically the southern kingdom called Judah, there would be a reenactment of the coronation of the king. Now the king was already king. He wasn't um, renamed. He wasn't given a, a contract extension every year. He was king. But every year they would reenact the coronation of this king. And so they would put him on a donkey outside the city of Jerusalem. And he would ride in to the sounds of Psalm 118, which is quoted here. 
Talk about blessed is he, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, we don't think of a donkey as a particularly strong symbol. Have you seen the pictures of, um, was, it, uh, was it Patton? They have pictures of him landing in, uh, in England. You know, I'm sorry, in, in France. He wasn't part of Normandy. He wasn't part of D-Day. He came later. And it's a highly staged thing. And he came in a landing ship to show forth his power. But here was the king. And he didn't come on a charger. He didn't come on a steed. He came on a donkey. He came on a donkey because it was a symbol of peace. And he came in and he brought peace and he brought salvation to his people. He brought safety from their enemies. Here was the king and he protects us from the enemy. He brings us peace and he has arrived once again. Now if you have a Bible, if you'll turn to Zechariah chapter 9. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on 1480. 1480, Zechariah chapter 9. Now this is important because this story, this account, the, the triumphal entry... Is prophesied all the way back in Zechariah chapter 9. And it speaks of the coming of the true king. The king that the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel were meant to point us to. Remember, the heroes of the Old Testament were never meant to point us to them. They're always meant to point us to the true hero of the story, and that is Jesus. And so we read of the true king, the true Messiah who would come in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations, to the Gentiles, to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river uh, to the ends of the earth. Here is this prophecy that one day a great and true king will come who will fulfill all these things that the Davidic kings were pointing his people to. And guess what? That happens today. That happened today, that happened when Jesus rode in on that donkey. Everybody would have known what was going on. We don't see these things, we don't know the Old Testament like we ought to. But everyone who is present, when they see Jesus with Psalm 118 on the lips of everyone, see Jesus on the colt coming down from Mount of Olives, he wasn't on a donkey and he was just finally arriving. He he mounted the donkey, his disciples it says, they set him upon the donkey. They laid their cloaks down and the waving palm branches sing, Hosanna, God is salvation, save us God. Everyone knew this was the entry of the king. But do you know this king? Do you know this king? I'm not talking about, do you know about this king? If you've grown up in the south, it's hard not to know something about this king. But do you know this king? I want to tell you a little bit about his character. There's so much we could say and so much we could say from this text. But I just want to draw up two things from this text about the character of this king that sets him apart from any other king. And that is his all-knowingness. He knows everything. And his all-powerfulness. He is all-powerful. He's in control of everything. We call those omniscience and omnipotence. Those are the theological words, those things. But, but deep in those words is, is great um, strength and comfort for those who would bow their knee before our Savior Jesus. Well, first, the king knows everything. 
Now, we get nervous about privacy rights in our country, don't we? Uh, right, wrong, or otherwise. You know, I don't want everyone knowing everything that I send emails about or, or what every conversation I have. If, I mean, hope, you know, I do wrong things all the time. But hopefully not just because they're wrong, but because I don't want everybody knowing all of that stuff. And we worry about what's on our Facebook and our Twitter and, and our emails and phone calls and cell phones and all these things. But our Savior knows all those things. See, our king knows everything. Psalm 139.2 says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my, my thoughts from afar. You discern my thoughts from afar. Now here's the thing, God isn't far from us. He's present with us now. He's right here, he's right here, he's everywhere. God is with us, he lives inside of us. In fact, we read in Matthew that where two or more that are gathered in my name, there I am amongst them in a special way. And and this says that God can discern our thoughts from afar, but He's not far from us. He knows even what we think and what goes on in our heads even better than we do. And this, we see this in this text. Look, if you will, at verses 30 through 32. We're back in Luke 19 now. Verse 30 through 32. Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as it had been told them. Just as it had been told them. Jesus knew this donkey would be here. He knew that this colt had never been ridden. And he sent his disciples, probably not one of those twelve, we don't know, the text doesn't tell us. These two disciples, he sends them, say, hey, go get that donkey. And they're going to ask you, and when, when they ask you what, do you, what do you need this for? He says, says the Lord needs it. You know, the fact that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our King, our Savior knows all is both at the same time an encouraging thing, a comforting thing, and a slightly discomforting thing, isn't it? See, for the believer, this is fantastic news. Because our King, the person that we bow our knee before, the very one who saves us and died for us, this King knows everything that we're dealing with. He knows every struggle. He knows every issue. He knows every obstacle that you are facing and will face tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. He knows all of that. And guess what? He knows those things better than we do. There are times when we feel deeply lonely and say no one understands. But you know what? Our Savior does. For He learned obedience through suffering. And He was tempted just as we are, yet He did not sin. Our King of kings, our Lord of lords, the King of this universe, and our Savior, He knows. He knows. And we long to be known. We carry that within us. Even when we resist it, we long to be known. To know and to be known. And our Savior, He knows. For the, for the unbeliever to the one who has not bowed his knee before the Lord God, who has not accepted the kingship of our Savior, He is King. Whether we accept Him or not, He is King. But salvation is for those who would bow their knee before the King and accept His salvation, the amazing free gift of salvation. But for those who don't know the Lord, His all-knowingness, His omniscience, is perhaps the scariest thing of all. Because He knows every thought and every deed done in the darkness. 
And one day, while we may think we can get away with it now, a spotlight, a spotlight will shine in those dark places and all will be made revealed, the day of judgment. But for the believer that our King knows is such a comfort to us. And this King knew and knows that we need salvation. And so that's why He came. So this King, your King, He is all-knowing, but He is also all-powerful. He is in control. And we see that in this text as well. We read this all the way back in Luke 9.51, that when the days drew near for Him to be taken up, He set His face to go to Jerusalem. Just like Spink said, this is not the end. This is merely the beginning. And this is the good part of the week. Okay, It all goes downhill from here from an earthly perspective. But it all goes according to plan, according to Christ's perspective, to our King's perspective. Here is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the maker of everything, and yet He goes knowing that He will die. He goes for the express purpose to die. In fact, three times by this point in the story, He has already told His disciples, look, we got to go, i got to die, i got to be raised on the third day. And they don't understand There's nothing in this text that would seem to indicate that he's not in complete control of the situation. The Jews don't get the the one-up on him later. They don't get the upper hand. He knows exactly what's going on. Here's the thing, he knows it because he planned it. This was his eternal plan from the foundational world before he created everything. This day, the triumphal entry, the king's pointing to the triumphal entry, it had all been planned down to the minute detail. And here is our God fulfilling His plan. You know, our Savior's power was veiled here on earth. But it won't be when He comes again. See, here is our king, and we know He's powerful. He, he says, hey, go get this colt, bring it back. And you know, I'm not a cowboy. That may surprise you. I'm not a cowboy. But I do know that a cult upon which no one has ever sat isn't going to have any time for a half-mile journey down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. And yet here is the cult's creator calling for a time of need for this creature he had created and says, I've got to sit on you right now, and you got to you bear the blessing of bearing the king, the true king, that your grand donkeys and great grand donkeys would have longed to have done in the, in the elder years when they brought the, 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 the pretend kings, the kings that pointed to me. But now you get to bear the true king. And the cult complies. Our king is in charge. But you know, when these two things are combined, his all-controllingness and his all-knowingness, for the believer, these are wonderful, fantastic things. For what good is it to have a king who knows all things but can't do anything about it? But here is our Savior, the King of kings, who knows everything and is able to do whatever he desires according to the counsel of his will, according to Ephesians chapter 1. This is your king. For the believer, this is great news. For the unbeliever, this is terrible, terrible news. For one day, it means that when you stand before the day of judgment, this king will know all, and he has the power to punish forever and ever. 
But we cannot stop there. This is your king's character. And we can say so much about his character. But what about his mission? His mission is writ large all over this page. And as we go back and think about the verses we've already read in Zechariah 9, 9b. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation as he. Here's the thing. This king came to bring salvation. When the kings of old, when they would enter into Jerusalem, they would bring salvation with them. They would often come after a a victory. It often comes from a battle on the field and they brought good news to the, uh, to the environs of Jerusalem that, hey, you are safe. Your enemies have been vanquished. How much more with our Savior? And He comes this very week to vanquish our true enemies of death and our sin. And the fact that we have no peace with God. Righteous and having salvation is He. My friends, this is our greatest need. And this is the singular focus of our Savior this week. As He came into Jerusalem, it was not to be crowned king in a throne, which is what His disciples thought was going to happen. As they cried out from, from Psalm 118, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This was it. The Messiah had come and now He will, he will drive these Romans away. But what this King had on His mind was something even greater than the Romans. The Romans were small fries. Small potatoes. For He came to deal with our true enemy, sin and death. He came to bring you salvation. And to fulfill those words of John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Has He taken your sins away? Do you know this King? Do you know this King? He came to bring peace. We just read Psalm 118, 26 with a couple of changes. It appears here. Um, in verse 38, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This King brings peace. This King brings peace. But let's not miss what's going on here. Because He brings peace to His enemies. He brings peace to His enemies. Ephesians 5.10 tells us, That apart from Christ, we are the enemies of God. There is no peace between us and God when we are born in this world. We are at odds. We are born outlaws. We are are born rebels. And when we sin, we do so because we are sinners. It is who we are. It is our nature. And yet we are in rebellion against our king. And the king came to die to bring us peace. Peace to his enemies. What a king does that. What king dies for his enemies so that they might have peace? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. For he has brought us salvation and peace. Do you have this peace? Do you have this peace? To the unbeliever... To the person who has not submitted yourself to the Lord God, then you have no peace with God. And the king's wrath and fury is against you and will be for all of eternity. But the king came to die so that we might have peace with him. To the believer, have you forgotten the peace you have in Christ? Or are you spinning your wheels trying to earn the king's favor again? My friends, you have his favor. 
Not because of anything you ever could do, but because of what He will do for you later this week on Good Friday. Because He has died in your place and He has taken the wrath for you. This is, we've seen the King's character and we've seen the King's mission. He came to bring salvation and peace to His enemies. But have you heard the King's call? Have you responded to the king's call? You can't do it on your own, by the way. The only way that you can turn to the Lord is by the Spirit working in you because you are dead in your trespasses and sins. We are dead in our trespasses and sins in which, we've, in which we once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, the Spirit, He makes us alive. And just as the Spirit will raise Jesus from the dead according to Acts chapter 1 uh, it, on, on the third day, So the Spirit raises us from the dead and gives us new life that we might be saved by the King, that we might be declared righteous by the King, that we might be made to have peace with the King. But have you heard that call? Have you heard it before? Are you hearing it for the first time? If you don't know Jesus, heed that call. We learn in Romans chapter 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does it mean to call the name of the Lord? It means to see your sin for what it is. That I am an outlaw. That I have sinned against the King. That I know His decrees. I know His written laws. And I say I'll do it anyway. To see how, how bad that is. And the straits you're in. And the fact that we all deserve hell apart from Christ. And to see just how bad it is. It's only when you see how bad our situation is that you will see how amazing God's love is. If if you've ever wondered about what is so amazing about God's grace, it's because Jesus died for His enemies. Have you heard the call? Do you see your sin? And having seen your sin, do you cry out to God asking and begging for forgiveness, repenting from your sin, turning from them, and trusting in Him for your salvation? Because it's freely offered to all those who would accept it. Have you heard the call? Because here's the thing. Our Savior's coming back. King Jesus is reigning now in heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty with the nations as His footstool. And one day He will come back and not this time as a child, not this time on a donkey, but this time with the sound of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet. And when He comes back, it will be too late. And to those who know Him, they will be called up in the heavens and we will spend eternity with Him as we have received our resurrected bodies. My friends, heed the King's call and accept Him as your King. He is your King. Please surrender all. Let's pray. Father, for those who do not know You, For those who have never heeded the call of the King, for those who have not surrendered their lives to You, may indeed today be the day of their salvation. We thank You that our Savior came to bring us salvation and He came to make peace. Lord, we rejoice in what You've done for us. And we yearn for the day when we see our King finally not with faith but with sight. May that day come soon. Come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen.
What a fitting hymn to end our service upon. You turn to 366 as we stand and sing all four verses of I Surrender All. Thank you.